welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Okay, friends, welcome to you all. Well, welcome, welcome, welcome. A lively bunch, which is great. So glad to see you. Again, uh, my name is Micah. If we have not met, I'm the lead pastor here at Awaken. So glad to uh, see you and that uh, you made it out this morning. Um, what are we going to do today? Let's see. Oh, yeah, thank you. Uh, no, in all seriousness, today we're beginning a new series. And I'm excited about that for a number of reasons. But before we get to that, I'll say uh, summer, a bit of a summer tradition around here. The last couple years we have done this and we're going to continue to do it. We do a series in the summer uh, called Lost in Translation. And so basically, yeah, this one's fun. Uh, it's a little daunting. But basically we find the most difficult passages in the Bible and try to understand what they mean and, or unpack them. And so if you have a Bible verse where you're like, what in the world does that mean? Or... Please, somebody uh, explain this to me because it's bonkers crazy. Um, send it to me, uh, Micah at awakencommunity.com. Send those requests to me. Cities 97 used to do the all request lunch hour, so this is like the all request summer series at church. Um, I can't promise you that I will preach the passage that you send me, but I'd love to hear your ideas. And so if you have some, uh, please send them my way. That would be great. So that starts in about five weeks. Today, we're starting a series that we're entitling Enter. And this is really about intentionality. It's about being intentional about the activity of God in our own lives. Uh, there's an old song that I used to sing in college, and we're going to bring it back out of the archives this morning. We're going, um, it's called Light the Fire. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's Lord, I Lift Your Name. No, that's not it either. Um, we are going to sing an old one, an oldie but a goodie, because this song that we'll close today's gathering with really, I think, makes a statement about the, the, the nature of this series, and really the heart and soul of this series. Uh, the chorus is, uh, we are hungry, we are hungry, we're hungry for more of you, we're thirsty, oh Jesus, uh, we're thirsty for more of you. And I'm curious if I were to ask this question this morning, uh, if you could experience God as real more and more, um, on a day-to-day -day basis, would you want that? Like, if, if, if you could, if you knew that, that there was more of God's presence or more of an experience with the divine that was available to you, like, on a day-to-day -day basis, would you want more of that? And I'm guessing that if you're here or you're at any church and not at a restaurant on a Sunday morning, you'd have to answer that question, yes, in some way, shape, and form. I would like that. That's why I'm here. Otherwise, you would go to Moochies or you'd go watch golf or football or baseball or soccer or whatever it is you like to do. You'd go fishing. Um, sometimes I do wish I, I could fish on Sundays. Like, what would that be like where you wake up on a Sunday morning and you're like, you know what? I'm going fishing today. I don't know. I don't, think I've, I don't know if I've ever done it, but maybe I will. Either way, if you answer yes to that question, you, you probably do want more of God in some way, shape, and form. And so then the question is, how does that happen? Like, if there is more to experience of God's presence, then how does that happen exactly? Like, is there some formula that you can imply? Is there some, like, uh, is, it, is it sort of more in, in God's camp? Like, God is holding something back until we say, I want more, and then God's like, yes, and pulls the lever and out gushes more or pushes the button do you guys remember in the cafeteria, the cereal dispensers, you know, when you like get it to the right click and it just starts flowing cereal? Is that how it works with God? Or is it, is it more kind of on us where it, in some ways it's up to us that God is always offering without reservation and the flow or the amount of awareness or the degree to which we're awake 
inhibits or um, maybe it's about our posture or our capacity to see or hear or our lives and how full we've made them in some ways that restricts the flow of God's presence. Is it more about us or is it a little bit of both? Uh, That's kind of what we want to explore in this series. Um, If we want to experience more of God's presence in our life, how do we do that? Um, like, are there muscles that we can work out? Are there habits that we can employ? Are there skills that we can develop so that we're more able? And to those questions, I would answer a resounding yes. I I think so. I think there are things we can be doing and habits we can be forming in us that will allow us to experience more and more of God's presence. Now, without sounding like a, you know, $2,000 suit-wearing, Tesla-driving TV pastor, you do these three things, this is how... It's not the spirit of this, right? And if you know me well enough and you've been around Awaken, it's a bit more nuanced than that. This is not a if this, then that kind of a series, right? This isn't like if you do these things, then this will happen. And if you don't have these things happen, then something is wrong with you or there's some sin in your life. Well, maybe there is. I don't know. But that's not necessarily what we're going after. Um, there's, a, there's a level of wisdom that's sort of above that that we're after where arguably the scriptures, I think, say it, and human existence has testified to it, that there's something, there's something true about what we're going to discover and explore here. That's what we're after. That's what we're after. Um, so in this series, we're going to look at five different ideas in, in, the, in the form of kind of a process. And I want to invite you to consider... Um, learning a little bit more about this and actually employing it in your life. And I I feel schmaltzy even saying that. You know, like, here's five steps that you all can try, but honest to goodness, if it doesn't, if it hasn't worked for me, if there isn't some truth to it where the more I do this, the more I engage in this process, the more I'm able to connect with and be uh, aware of and experience the presence of God in my own life. And so I'm offering it to you uh, with a little bit of track record in history to say, friends, I'm telling you, there's something to this, at least in this way that, that we're talking about it, that I think would really actually be of help and benefit to us as a community. So I offer it to you in that, in that spirit. Um, Jesus says that the kingdom of God, this flow, this way of being human in the world, it's available to us all the time. It's around us. It's, it's within us. It's near us. So how do we access it more? So here's, here's a, a, a little diagram that we're going to be using And uh, if you imagine your life as this line, right, it begins with birth and ends in death, and somewhere along the way, a moment where we stop so that we can see as God sees, hear in God's voice, recognize who we are and what we bring, and respond. And that experience or that process, if you imagine your life going along where there are these moments where you engage and you experience the divine and this, this flow, this abundant life Jesus talks about, this kingdom kind of living, an awareness, the mystics would say, a communion with the divine. That's possible. I really believe that. Jesus seems to think so. I think so. So that's what we're going to do in this series. Y'all with me? Okay, so this morning we're going to begin with stop. I would say that it all begins with stopping, and I want to try to do two things this morning. I want to speak to like uh, cultivating a heart of Sabbath, and then actually developing a practice of Sabbath, all right? So if you have your Bibles, I would invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 2. We're going to start here. We're going to anchor ourselves in the text. Uh, We're going to look at two passages, Genesis 2 and Leviticus 23. So if you want to find both of those, and I will invite you to stand, and we'll read from the scriptures, and then we will dive right in. 
Genesis 2, starting in verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, he rested. That word is Sabbath, Shabbat. He rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Leviticus chapter 23. This is part of God's instruction to Israel and how they're to organize their life together. And it begins with, the Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, these are my appointed festivals, the appointed festivals of the Lord, which you are to proclaim as sacred assemblies. There are six days when you may work, but the seventh day is a day of rest, a day of sacred assembly. You are not to do any work. Wherever you live, it is a Sabbath to the Lord. Pray with me. God, this morning as we gather in this sacred assembly, we do so with the desire to hear and to experience and to know, understand, and to live in communion with you. Where not only do we believe something in our heads or we affirm something, but we experience it as real. And so I pray that you would speak to us, that you would encourage us, invite us, guide us, direct us to uh, more and more who you always created us to be, who you had in mind when you made us. Uh, And by Jesus and his work in our lives, may we become more and more of that, I pray. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Now, before I even begin, you might be thinking to yourself, Micah, I'm not sure if you know this, but this is a Protestant church. And Shabbat, Sabbath, is not only a Jewish idea, but it's an old covenant uh, idea, and we're new covenant people, right? The old covenant is Torah, the law, uh, Old Testament, and in it there's Torah observance. There's 613 laws, which is called Torah, and, and the first five books of the Bible, and in it is Sabbath. And so, Micah, I'm not sure if you knew this, but we're new covenant folks. Jesus comes and says, hey, I'm doing a new thing. It's a new covenant. And so uh, that's that. And then for the most part, I assume, and I know that there's always, uh, assuming is not always the best idea, but I think I'm on pretty, um, pretty safe ground to say most of the people in the room are not Jewish. And so I'm um, not sure why you're trying to tell us we should be practicing Sabbath. Fair enough. I want to ask a question, though, and this is why I'm, I'm going I'm to keep going on this. And it's, um, it's a series of questions, but here it is. Why would God make Sabbath the center of God's life for the people of God? Why would God make Sabbath the center of life for God's people in the scriptures? And why would God orient time itself and the calendar and the religious festivals around the idea of Sabbath, Shabbat? And why would Sabbath be the first thing in scripture to be called holy if, in fact, When Jesus showed up on the scene, God was just going to say, you know what, never mind, forget about it, don't worry. Like seriously, have you thought about that? The entirety of the life of God's people in the scriptures before Jesus shows up is rooted and centered around the idea of Sabbath. It, It governs time, it governs life, it is the centerpiece. It's how they kept time. The religious calendar, everything is around the idea of Sabbath. So why would God do that? Why would there be this idea that on six days we work and one day we rest? Why would there be this idea if when Jesus shows up, God was like, actually, I was just messing with you. Thanks for that fun exercise and rule rule observance, but it's really not wise or true to do that. You know what I'm saying? 
So I would argue that there's something more, there's something that's capital T true about the idea of Shabbat and Sabbath, which is why it's found in Torah and the Israelites and the God's people are invited to experience it and to live into it. That is actually, it's like, a tr it transcends Torah. It's beyond it. And I would say to you that it is the center. It begins with stopping. I would argue that, the, the, that I think I have a quote about this. Where is it? Where is it? Page two. Oh yeah, there it is. Uh, the spiritual life and the doorway that opens to a life of communion with God begins with Shabbat, begins with stopping. Now again, I'll note, Sabbath is the first thing in Scripture to be called holy. We read it in Genesis chapter 1. It's interesting that it's not a place. It's not Mount Sinai. It's not the ark. It's not some grand place. It's not the mountain where God shows up with Elijah. It's not a place. It's not a thing. It's not, uh, it's not a temple, it's not an altar, it's not the Ark of the Covenant. It's not even an act of worship or a sacrifice that's called holy in scriptures first. And if you didn't know, in Hebrew literature, what, when it's mentioned first, it's very important. That idea or what surrounds that word usage then often sets the trajectory for the usage of the word later. So where it appears first matters a great deal. The first thing in scripture called holy, Shabbat. One could argue that the first thing in Scripture called holy is time. If you are interested at all, I don't usually do this, but I will recommend, if you want to read more about this, small little book, if you can say it in the little words, then why use a lot. Um, it's called The Sabbath. It's written by Abraham Joshua Heschel. It is at the epicenter of uh, writing and thoughts about Sabbath in Christian and Jewish practice. So if you're interested, I would say check that out. I thought about just quoting Heschel for my whole sermon today because it's, it's really that good, but that would bore you all. I'm going to quote him once, and I'm going to do it in its entirety because it's worth it. If I could write and produce things like this, man, oh man, my, I would be, this is really good. So pay attention, <laughs> pay attention. Technical civilization is man's conquest of space. It is a triumph frequently achieved by sacrificing an essential ingredient of existence, namely time. In technical civilization, we expend time to gain space. To enhance our power in the world of space is our main objective, he argues. Yet to have more space does not mean to be more. The power we attain in the world of space terminates abruptly at the borderline of time. So he who dies with the most toys does not win, is what he's arguing. But time is the heart of existence. The meaning of Sabbath, then, is to celebrate time rather than space. Six days a week we live under the tyranny of things of space. And on Sabbath we try to become attuned to holiness in time. It is a day on which we are called upon to share in what is eternal in time and to turn from the results of creation to the mystery of creation. Drop the mic, walk away. I mean, so packed with wisdom and brilliance. As your pastor, here's what I want for you. 
As a person who has been invited to care for and shepherd and lead you in some way, shape, and form, of which I'm doing my darndest, what I long for, what I want for you, is for you to be developing habits and becoming the kinds of people who can, with increasing capacity and frequency, not only be in relationship with God, but to be in communion with God in as many moments of every day of your life. I believe that there is a way by which you can walk through your life ignorant and oblivious to the presence of God. I want the opposite for you. For every day, every moment, for you to be practicing the presence of God, Brother Lawrence would say, where you're in tune with and aware of, in the mystics would say, divine communion, oneness in some way, relationship, intimacy with God. Jesus thinks it's possible. I think it's possible. That's what I want for you. I think it begins with Shabbat and the capacity for us to learn how to stop. We live in a world where that is the opposite of what we're told to do. So in some ways, I'm, we're, we're sort of rattling the cage, but this is, this is exactly what Jesus does often when he comes on the scene, right? You have heard it said this, but I say this. That's a little bit what's happening today. So I want to do that today. I want to offer some th thoughts about a heart of Sabbath, developing a heart of Sabbath, and then we'll end with some practicality, all right? So first, developing a heart of Sabbath. I would suggest that we first need to have a willingness to stop, pause, or turn aside, right? When we think about our, our lives and time, we often think about it chronologically. The Greek word is chronos, right? And it starts here, and it's, the clock starts, and then it's just tick, tick, tick. And it's like, this is our life. Tick, 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 tick. And it's always going in one direction. It's always moving in this direction, right? Shabbat, Sabbath says, stop, pause, and turn aside. Pay attention to someone other than yourself, and something other than yourself. That's at the heart of Sabbath. This is Moses at the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3. The text says, Moses said, I must turn aside and see why the bush is burning but not consumed. How often in your day do you pause and turn your attention to someone and something other than tick, 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 produce, create, drive, go, go, go. This is in part what Sabbath is inviting us to. Is there a willingness in our own lives and in our own hearts? Are we cultivating a willingness, a desire? God, give me a desire to want. Give me a desire to desire stopping. So we begin here. Where if we're cultivating a heart of Sabbath, it begins with just a willingness to stop. To pause the train that's always moving up and to the right to recognize that there's more going on here. Because we begin with the assumption, part two of cultivating a heart of Sabbath, is beginning with an assumption that God is at work all the time and everywhere. Right? This is Jacob in Genesis chapter 32, I think, where he wrestles with God and he wakes and he says, and we have it right over here, the Lord is in this place, and I wasn't aware of it. How often do our lives move in one direction where we are oblivious to the fact that God is at work all the time and everywhere? The psalmist says, Oh Lord, where can I go to escape from your presence? Right? Nowhere. Paul says that God, that Christ, is all and is in all. John says, in John 1, that he was, he was there before creation. The Word was with God before creation. And the Word was God, the Christ. 
And then goes on to say that in him, the Christ, all things are made and held together. There's nowhere that you can go in the expanse of the universe or in the, in the smallest microcosm of molecular matter that you will not find and do not find the power, presence, and energy of, the, of God, the one who made it all. This is why Jesus says, when you do these things to the least of these, you've done them unto me. A Sabbath heart recognizes with increasing capacity that God is at work all the time and everywhere. There isn't anywhere on the planet in God's good creation that God is not available to be seen, experienced, and present to. So, do we begin with a willingness to just pause, to turn aside, to turn our attention, which is often focused on ourselves, to someone and something else that's happening around us? And that as we do that, if I turn my attention towards this presence, which I believe is at work all the time and everywhere, that in fact this is what I will find. In the Exodus passage in Moses, the door opens for Moses when he admits that he doesn't know. Why, must, why does the bush burn and not, be, not, not being consumed? And it's in that moment that an angel of the Lord, and the, the text is very clear that it's, Two different, an angel of the Lord speaks to Moses through a burning bush, appears to Moses in a burning bush, and then when Moses says, I, I'm not sure why this thing isn't burning up, the door swings open, and who speaks but Yahweh himself. Cultivating a heart of Sabbath is one that recognizes, I don't have all the answers. I actually can't fix it all. I can't make it all. I can't produce it. I can't finish it all. I can't Cultivating a heart of Sabbath is one that says, I have limitations. And I am not in control of the universe, let alone my own life some days. Cultivating a heart of Sabbath recognizes that someone and something else is sustaining the whole thing. And if I stop, the world will keep spinning. If I don't produce, if I take a moment to receive, that things will keep moving towards the end that God has for them. That, in fact, it is not up to me. As highly as I think of myself, and I think pretty highly of myself, I'm a pretty capable fella. I can do a lot of things. I like to fix stuff. I learn things. But as much as I have confidence in myself, a willingness to say, actually, I am not in control, and I don't have all the answers, and why does the bush burn and not be consumed? It's that moment. A Sabbath heart is one that's cultivating that posture in the world. So you cannot keep doing, creating, producing, building, fixing, engineering, and giving your good gift to the world without receiving from another source. You will dry up. It is not an inexhaustible well. Now, church, I need you to listen to me for a second. If you're not listening now, please pay attention. I need eyes right here. I need eyes. You hear me saying these things, and you nod, and you say, yes, pastor, I understand, I recognize this, this is true. And then, many of us leave here and work 60, 70, 80 hours a week with the assumption, or at least from the outside looking in, that you're operating under the assumption that, in fact, it does all depend on you. And if you stop, the world will come crumbling down like a stack of cards. 
I think that this is missing the mark for what God intends for your life. And by the dancing way, in Scripture, sin means to miss the mark. So one could argue that living under this assumption, where you work 60, 70, 80 hours a week, and everything go, 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 with never, without ever stopping, is actually living in sin. So I guess I would just ask a question. When we say, yes, pastor, I understand, but our lives are not, like, congruent with that, many people would say that that's hypocrisy, where you say you believe one thing and live a different way, but I would just say that it's, you, we don't understand. Because we can say we affirm something in our heads, but if our lives don't actually produce the results of that belief, then you don't believe that. And friends, I say this not because I want anyone here to feel guilty, but because I love you. If you live this way where you say, Pastor, I understand that, but then you live in a, in a way that's drive, 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 go, 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 never stopping, never resting, who do you think you are? And I ask that with, like, the, the, the floor of, the, the, like, the guilt floor is way down here, okay? Honestly, if we live that way, and we had to answer the question, honestly, who do we think we are? Laura always says to me, you know what, Micah? The rules do apply to you. <laughs> so if you could please stop acting as if they don't, our kids would find a different example. <laughs> These rules apply to you. They apply to me. We cannot produce go, 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 go without ever stopping and not shrivel up and die. It is impossible. Why? Because you are finite. You are limited. You are not endless. But there is a source which Jesus says we can have access, which we do have access to because of the throne of grace, because of the sacrifice of Jesus. We do have access to it. And so when we don't plug into it, it's as if we're saying, thanks, Jesus, but I'm not, I don't need that. Right? Like, thank you, but no thank you. Who do you think we are? Who do we think we are? Who do I think I am? I wish I was Jewish on this one. I wish I grew up in a household where this was valued. I think as Protestants, we got ripped off on this deal. So I'm just trying to bring it back. I think we are missing out on a gift that God, oh my gosh, I think that the divine, that God is up there, wherever there is, if oh, that's a terrible three-tiered universe, throw it out. I think God is wherever God is. And it's just saying, I am waiting to give you the gift of Sabbath if you would just take it. Sabbath reminds us of so much about what, it, what is true about who we actually are and what God actually intends for our lives. And we live in a world that says the opposite of that. Now, before I go to some practical things and we end, I want to just say one more thing about a heart for Sabbath, and I think it requires reframing work and rest. So we need to be willing to stop because God is always at work all the time, and that I don't have all the answers, but I think we need to reframe how we think about work and rest in some ways. When we think about work and rest in our culture and in our day, uh, like, oh man, I've been working so hard and so long, I need a vacation, right? And so my vacation is the carrot at the end of the stick. It's the reward for all of my hard work. And I only get it when I've done all of my hard work, which is not a gift. Interestingly, if we take the scripture seriously, and I would suggest that we do, Adam and Eve are created at the end 
of day six. And so Adam and Eve's first full day of being human is just work, work, work. No, it is not. It's Sabbath. Their first day of creation as humans is delight. It's wonder. It's naked, which would have been awesome. <laughs> Intimacy with God. It's just like everything that brings you joy and delight and wonder and beauty and grace and gift, it's there. That's their first day of creation. And it's from that place of knowing that they are loved, that they belong, that they are delighted and desired by the creator, that God invites them into the process of tilling and tending, caring for the good work of creation that God has placed them in. They begin from a different place. When we rest from all of our work, that's slavery where we only get it when we've done all of these things, and it's conditional. I think we need a massive reframe on how we think about this. Actually, I wake up, and I am loved, I belong, I am delighted and desired by God. Not because I'm good enough, smart enough, and people like me, but because God is that good. God is that benevolent. That is a beautiful picture of God. That's good news, friends. And God invites us to live from that place where Shabbat, Sabbath, rest, delight, wonder, beauty, gift is the beginning. It's the place from which we start. And then we do our work with joy, not because we have to earn anything or, or because we don't deserve that, so we have to work for it. No, because it's ours in Christ. Every, right? So a little reframe, a little adjustment. What if this was actually the center? What if this was the beginning? What if, what if this idea of rest and delight and beauty and gift and receiving from God was the place from which we started from? And all of our work in the world comes from this. That's a game changer, friends. That's a game changer. Now, what if you actually want to do this? What if you actually want to practice Sabbath in your life? A couple of thoughts. Before I say them, I'll say this. This is not like all of the restrictions that you see in Sabbath. Don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. That's not what I'm saying. That's not the point of this. There may be some things that you abstain from in order to create some space in your life, yes. But that's not the spirit that I'm talking about. Are you with me now? Are you tracking with me? Okay. So practically speaking, a couple of things as we end. Um, I would say this. The Sabbath train leaves the station the same time every week. <laughs> How's that for cryptic? What do I mean by that? Friends, um, we, I would encourage you to resist the temptation to shape Sabbath around you and your time and your calendar, which means that the train leaves the station at the same time every week. It doesn't adjust to you and your whims and your desires. Like, we live in the most powerful planet on the, or we live in the most powerful country on the planet. We are the richest people on the planet. We get what we want when we want it. And for many of us in the room, depending on race and gender, that's been given to you from day one. I would submit to you that this is not necessarily in line with, and it doesn't play well with Sabbath. Where we make it fit us. I want to suggest 
Part of the power of, of Shabbat and Sabbath is that it stands outside of us. It happens to me. On its time, not mine. And so Sabbath, whatever it looks like for you, and I'm going to encourage you to, to like, leave today with one idea, one way that you can practice Sabbath, whatever it looks like, make it rhythmic, and don't change it. Let it happen to you. And submit to it instead of it submitting to you. Because that's how we live a lot of our life. Where we make other things submit to us and our desires. When it's regular and rhythmic, the train leaves the station every same time every week, it reminds me that I am not all-powerful. That I am not in control. So, whatever you decide it is today, whatever practice you want to try or start moving towards, stick to it. Let it dictate a portion of your schedule and your life. That's part of the power of the practice. Secondly, I'll say this. Make it appropriate and attainable. I have visions of grandeur, friends. No surprise to anybody, right? When we first started trying this as a family, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is going to be awesome. I just learned about this idea. So we decided to Im implement Sabbath. And we're like, you know, we're doing it. Like, we're doing it all the way. So we got like fine china out on Friday night. Our kids are like six, seven, and nine at this point in time, right? You all see where this is headed, right? China's out, like the you know, music's playing. We spent hours making this meal, and it was just a total disaster for like the first couple of times. People would throw stuff at each other. Somebody would make a snarky remark, which was met with only a, another more snarky remark. You know how this goes, up, up, up. It's the Hatfields and the McCoys. Uh, it, glasses are breaking all over the place, and kids scatter, and Laura and I are left at the table like, that is not how we thought this would go. So make it appropriate and attainable to your stage of life in some ways. Like, if you have small children, don't expect them to sit at the, the dinner table for two hours in engaging conversation with you. They're not going to be happy. You're going to be very disappointed, all right? Here's just a small window into what we do. And I share this after, I've wanted to preach about this since the day we started it, but I've waited like three years because I wanted to live in it before I gave it to you all. Here's a snippet of what it looks like for us. Fridays, that's our day off, Friday and Saturday. On Friday mornings, we send the kids to school, hallelujah for school, I love it. I, I, I love the kids in the summertime, but man, when they go back to school in the fall, we get our Fridays back and it's like glorious. It's our favorite day of the week. Send the kids to school, we go to coffee, we have breakfast together, we work on projects, we do things that give us life. We'll often spend a little bit of time cleaning and, and prepping so that the space we're about to inhabit is like engaging and we want to be there. Because if your house is a total disaster, like you won't want to live in it. You all want to go somewhere else. That's just rule. That's just life. So we spend a little bit of time picking up on Friday. We go to the grocery store to buy some food. We try to be prepared for a meal. And then we say, this is a new one, kids, you, can't, you can invite anyone you want over, but you can't go to anybody else's house on Friday night. It's dinner at our house on Friday. You can invite your friends. Totally cool. They're welcome to come join us, but you can't go to their houses. That's just the one rule of the week. So last night, last Friday, we had uh, Laura's, or Hadley's friend down the street. She was at our house for Shabbat dinner. <laughs> She's like, what in the world is going on here? It's like, a, like she is an alien experience. So we light three candles. We say a blessing over these candles, which remind us of God the sustainer, God the creator, and God the Redeemer. This is all online. You can Google it if you want it. It's very easy to find. God the Creator, God the Sustainer, God the Redeemer. We say a blessing over the wine. We give kids juice. 
We drink wine, they drink juice. We say a blessing over the wine, the bread, and the food, which God gives us from the earth. And we just, we play a couple of games. One's called What If? So it's a game with no rules except what if. So somebody goes and they say, what if there were unicorns in the backyard and we could ride them? Awesome, cool. Next person. What if there was a, uh, a skyway from our house to your best friend's house? Way cool, that'd be so much fun. What if, um, and Lyndon, is, she just keeps adding. So there's one rule, it's called the Lyndon rule, and you, you can't keep adding to your what if, right? <laughs> so it's just a game of imagination. Just like engage the kid's imagination. Then we have another one called one word. So I say one word, and then you say the first thing that comes to your mind. Tigers. Bears. Yeah, that's it. And then the next person picks a word. It's just simple stuff, dumb stuff, but it's fun. Gets them engaging, keeps them at the table for longer than 10 minutes. So we do that. We turn off our phones. Here's how this works, guys. You take out your phone. You hold this little button down for long enough, and a little arrow shows up, and it says, slide to power off. And then when you do it, it shuts off, and it stops ringing. No one can bother you. So we get all the phones in the house, all the iPads, all the computers, and we, we have like a ceremony of powering them down. I'm telling you what, I have a physiological response every time I do this. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so free. It is just incredible, the power these things have. And so if you've called me on a Friday, I probably am not going to answer you. I once preached a sermon. I was like, if you're going to die, don't do it on Friday because I'm not going to. That was a bad idea. <laughs> People got mad. They're like, what do you mean? You're a pastor. Like, okay, well, you can call Jenna. And then she'll be her day's Her day's Monday, so don't call her on. Oh, you're not Jenna. Sorry. She was here earlier. Call Jenna. She's off on Mondays. I'm off on. So, right, you get it. And then Saturday, we try to do something fun as a family. So yesterday, I was in the boat with four women under the age of 13 and a dog. I underestimated how much stress that would cause me. <laughs> I, needed a, I needed a break from my break when I came home. Try, fail, learn, right? Try, fail, learn. Lastly, I'll say, do what's life-giving with those who are life-giving. Sabbath is about delight. It's about grace. It's about gift. So find something that gives you joy. If you like building things, build something. If you enjoy going for walks, go for walks. If you like being alone, carve out some time to be alone. I would say not all of it, because that kind of misses the point, but if you need to be alone, carve out some time. Do what brings you joy. Do what brings you delight. And do it with those who give you life. Heschel says, um, if you can have a healthy relationship with wine, drink wine, maybe a little more than you should. He says, have as much sex as you can. Like, if you're married, like, make love to your spouse. Do the things that are good about life as gifts from God. Sorry, kids, if you're in the room. Talk to your parents about that one. <laughs> Just like, ah, radar. But what if we modeled, like, a, a, an appropriate and healthy relationship to sex in our church? I'd, I'd think that was a win, so I'm going to stick with it. We're podcasting this. <laughs> Do what brings you life with those who give you life. This is the heart. This is the essence of it. And what if, I'll close with this, two weeks ago, I'm standing at the kitchen sink. For some reason, this is the most, one of the most profound places in my life. Like, take off your shoes, this is holy ground kind of moment. So I'm standing there, I'm doing the dishes. The sun is setting over the field out our kitchen window. 
have a glass of wine, and I'm, I mean, if you had seen this, you'd been like, cuckoo, cuckoo. I raise my glass to no one. <laughs> or maybe everyone. And I just say, like, thank you. This is beautiful. There's music playing. The sun is setting. I got a glass of wine. I mean, God, thank you. And then I said, you know, we're in a tough stage of life. Our kids are at an age where they are just like, they're, they're coming into their own, and they're, they're all really, really lively. <laughs> so it's like double down, you know, on intensity. And I just, in a vulnerable moment, I said, God, are we doing a good job? Like, are we doing a good job with these kids? Because sometimes I feel like we are not. And out of the corner of my eye, I see one walk across the kitchen. I'm here. And she, she notices what I'm doing. And she stops. She turns aside. And she comes over. And she starts drying dishes right next to me. And I am just a mess. <laughs> I am like hold it, trying to hold it back, hold it together without a word spoken between the two of us. As if the Lord said, you're doing a great job. Keep it up. I love you. You're my son. I'm proud of you. You have no idea how, how much I need to hear that. You're my son. I'm proud of you. I love you. You're a good dad. You guys are killing it. Keep going. This moment made possible by Shabbat. If you don't stop, you miss a lot. So what if we began with stopping? Pray with me if you would. I'm going to give you just a few moments of silence. And if I'm going to give you some directions, a couple of questions to consider. But God, here we are, and here you are. We recognize that you are with us. We're so grateful for that, that we are not alone in this. And so God, as my friends and I imagine what a life connected to the source would be like, as we consider this gift of Shabbat, of stopping, would you bring to the surface in our own hearts whatever we might need to tend to, to cultivate a heart that's ready to receive Sabbath. In this next moment of silence, God, bring to the surface whatever we might attend to and maybe bring one practice, one thing that we can do to move towards a life, a rhythm where we stop and receive the gift of delight and belovedness from your hands. Speak to us now, God. My friends, brothers and sisters, my hope and prayer for you is that with increasing capacity and frequency, you're in relationship with and connected to the source of all, the living one, the creator, that we begin that process, that we enter that flow by stopping, by pausing, by turning aside and are met 
with the presence of God. So, my challenge to you this week, it's one thing, one practice that you can make a part of your life that you stick to, that sort of has a, a hold on you. Maybe it's you turn off your phone for 24 hours or, or 12 or 6 or 1. <laughs> whatever, whatever works, right? Attainable, appropriate. And we begin to live a rhythm that has Sabbath at its heart. And that as we do, we see, we hear, we recognize, and we respond. We live as the people of God in the world, connected to the one who gives it all. Amen? No small task. Go practice. Love you. See you next week. Find us online at www.awakeningcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awakening Community or on Twitter at Awakening Community. See you next time.